What is going on, Cultivate Family? Oh my God, it has not been my week. So a little bit of story time before we get into the main guest podcast today. A lot of you know I've been rehabbing an Achilles injury for the last 16 weeks. It completely got rid of my running and I worked really hard with a physio and my coach to get myself back running again so I could do the High Rocks competition in January, which is like 80 to 90% running. So that rehab was hard. It was frustrating. It was really challenging and painful at times, but it went really well. I did everything right. And then on Sunday, I went with my coaching group to the running track to do a 5k test. I was feeling great about it. The running track wouldn't let us on. So we went to a different running track. And this was a dirt track, so a slightly different surface, softer ground, slightly uneven. And we're all there warming up and we're chatting about what times we're aiming for. And I said the words, I would just settle for a sub 30 minute pain-free 5k today. And then it just went terribly wrong. So I was warming up, I was feeling good. We then started the 5k test. I was 11 minutes in and I was running faster than I had anticipated, but I was feeling really good. I had no pain in the Achilles. And then everything just went wrong. And I'm not really sure what exactly happened, but I must have twisted something maybe on some uneven ground and my right ankle just completely gave out. And I ended up sat on the side of the track for the rest of the session. It was so painful. I could feel it swelling inside my shoe. And then I hobbled away from the track. I managed to drive home and I spent the rest of the day feeling really sorry for myself with an ankle that had swollen up to the size of a huge tennis ball. And I just thought, you know what, let's see how it goes tomorrow. It's not ideal. I woke up the next morning and it was even worse. So I made the decision with my coach to go to minor injuries and get it checked out just to rule out anything. I was pretty sure it wasn't broken. So I spent about five hours in minor injuries on Monday. I was doing my client check-ins. My clients were all so awesome about receiving written feedback this week as well because I was in that minor injury center for so long. And they did the x-ray and then I was sent back into the waiting room for another two hours. I was then pulled into the corridor. And a nurse says to me, cool, it's not broken, you can go home. And I said, is that it? And she said, yeah, that's it. And I was like, okay, but is there anything I can do to stabilize it? I'm a personal trainer, I spend a lot of time in the gym. And she goes, just don't, just don't do anything. Keep your foot elevated for eight weeks and don't work out, don't go to the gym, don't do anything. And... I was like, I'm a PT, that's definitely not possible. And she was like, well, it's going to get worse. And I'm like, okay, but I'm safe to drive. And she was like, yeah, just go home, but then don't do anything. So firstly, I didn't have the best experience that day. I was feeling pretty shitty about the whole experience and I was pretty frustrated that I wasn't given any guidance. So I went home that night, I felt my feelings. And the next day I was like, right, I've got to work as best as I can through this. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to train up a body because I know that's going to make me feel better and I'll figure this out as I go and I'll rehab the injury. I'm going out the door to the gym and I get a call from the hospital and they say, hey, so remember that x-ray you had yesterday? Well, we actually misread it. Your ankle is actually fractured. You need to come back here right now and get a boot fitted. And I was like, what? I need a boot fitted. And they're like, yeah, come now, please. It's really important. And they were obviously sounding a bit freaked out because they'd misread my x-ray and misdiagnosed me and just let me drive home. So I went back to the hospital and I got fitted with this boot. And many of you might have seen it on my Instagram. You have voted for the nickname Christopher Walken. So that's what we're calling him. And I am now living in this boot for two months. That means I can't compete in high rocks, I can't do the CrossFit Open, and I absolutely cannot run. So that coming off the back of all of this hard work and rehab made me feel fucking horrendous. So I've taken 
the last couple of days to just wallow a little bit, feel sorry for myself, a little bit of self-pity. But then it was time to get back in the gym. I needed to train because training is a tool that I use to manage my ADHD, a tool to make me feel good, to give me dopamine, to make me feel affirmed, to give me some bodily autonomy. And it's also something I do to break up my day and I love it. So I got back in the gym yesterday, I adapted and I feel so much better. But I am finding it a bit hard to adapt to life in the boot for the next two months. I have a lot of stairs where I live and I'm not allowed to drive and I don't live close to a lot of things. So it has been a week, but I'm getting there. And I've had so many nice messages of people being like, you got this. And one of my clients last night said, as soon as I saw in your Instagram stories, you were in the gym, I know that I had the right coach and that absolutely made my day. So thank you to that person. I really appreciated that. So that's my week. However, I've got a really good guest for you today. My friend Kellen is on the podcast today. They are from Kai Ming Holistics. They are a somatic breathwork facilitator. And oh my gosh, I had so many questions. They made my brain tick. And I know at the moment that there's quite a lot of sponsored ads floating around Instagram on somatics and breath work. So as soon as Kellen started working in this space, I was determined to get them on here. And we had a really great conversation about somatics, breath work in relation to trauma, queer trauma, trans trauma. It was honestly fascinating and really opened my eyes up to a world that I'd never been in before. And what actually happened the week after we recorded this podcast was I did a somatic breathwork session with Kellen. I really realized how helpful a method it could actually be for people with trauma. And I won't talk too much about what we went into in the session, but the breathwork actually brought up a few different occurrences of trauma for me. And when we used a resource at the end of the session to bring me back to where I was, to that state of mind, I had tingles go all the way down my body. It was absolutely wild. It was a really, really interesting experience, especially to someone like me that's done a lot of talk therapy. I've had therapy for PTSD and I've had general counselling talk therapy. It absolutely blew my mind in places. This is Kellen on the Cultivate podcast. Let's get into it. So I'm Kellen. I'm a trans, transracial adoptee, and I've recently certified in somatic therapy, breathwork, and trauma-informed coaching. And I'm here today to talk about somatics with you, and I'm super excited to be here. Hell yeah, we've been internet friends for like a little bit, haven't we? And as soon as... I saw this was something that you were practicing. I was like, great, let's get them on the podcast. <laughs> so what is somatic breath work? So somatics just refers to working with the body. So soma actually just means body. So it's anything where we're dropping into the body and actually going from, it's called a bottom-up approach. So a lot of our kind of traditional therapy system works on a top-down approach. So we're going from the head and we're kind of using our cognition and our brain and our willpower to kind of like try and change our thoughts and our behaviors. And bottom up approach is basically using the body and kind of moving our energy, metabolizing our trauma and stuff. And that is then going up to the brain. So it's not so much using willpower, we're actually changing it, changing our bodies and changing the kind of feedback loops that happen within our bodies to just naturally change our behavior. So what's like, what is the outcome from from doing that breath work? The purpose of it, what could it be used for? I mean, your outcome could look so different uh, depending on kind of your intentions and your goals. And the beauty, the beautiful thing with breath work as a somatic modality is that our breath is one of the very, very rare things that lies at the intersection between our kind of voluntary nervous system and our autonomic involuntary nervous system. So like we, we breathe naturally, we do it in our sleep, we don't have to think about it. 
uh, we're both breathing right now <laughs> yeah. without being like, <laughs> but at the same time, we can consciously choose to alter our breath and that can change our state. So, you know, our, our state impacts our breath. So if we're panicking, we're going to be breathing faster. If we're in a traumatic event, trying to take in more, more air. But then in the same way, if we then go and change the breath, we have the ability to change our state. So we can use the breath to get more energy. We can use the breath to calm down. We can use the breath to improve the metabolism of our mitochondria. Uh, we can do anything. And what I really love about breath work is that we can actually use the breath to access parts of ourselves and access parts of our subconscious that we usually just can't get to. And it enables us to almost have a dialogue with our kind of inner child, the parts of us that we've suppressed. And we're able to move the energy that's kind of stored in our body. So with trauma, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that trauma isn't what happens to you. You know, it's like um, Gabor Mate, don't need to hear you in there. But she's a really renowned um, trauma expert. He says trauma isn't what happens to you, it's what happens inside you. So trauma is actually what's happening within us. And the event itself is traumatic. So what might traumatize one person might not traumatize another depending on their genetics, their susceptibility, their sensitivity in their nervous system, but also crucially, if they have like a resource there to bring them back to safety. And if you don't have some sort of resource, so that could look like a, a caregiver or a friend or yourself, you know, as adults, if you don't have that, then the feedback loops that get started in this traumatic event never really reach completion. We never kind of bring it full circle. So they, they kind of get stuck in our system and without kind of going through and allowing our bodies to kind of process that in a natural way, they remain there. And this theory explains so much about our behavior and about our, our physical health and like stuff like chronic pain and all that stuff. So is it a form of therapy? So yeah, it is. It's not traditional therapy in where you're talking. The somatic therapy might involve talking, but it also might not involve talking. And um, because it's really just letting, letting the body talk. So some somatic therapy sessions might involve talking and might involve analyzing what comes up. But again, the beauty of it is that you don't actually have to know. You don't have, actually have to kind of psychoanalyze and know where your wounds came from, which I think is personally why why I got so interested in it because as an adoptee and a lot of adoptees out there will know about this that our trauma was pre-verbal and pre-cognitive and it comes from that age where we don't have explicit memory to draw upon so we can't go and process it like we would a memory that we can recall and work through those steps rationally which is where I think you know like counseling therapy is really effective with this, we're basically just working with the energy that comes up with the body and being able to move that and metabolize that and kind of complete those feedback loops that happen that started in the traumatic event and we're kind of bringing them back to safety. I have so many questions. <laughs> I don't know a lot about this, which is why I wanted to bring you on here. And it is really, really fascinating, especially when it comes to actually trauma and looking at how trauma like manifests itself in the body. So my first of many questions, does it have to be guided? And what mm. is the difference between breath work like this and doing a meditation? Technically, no, because I think this is, this is a really interesting kind of point of conversation is that actually our bodies innately have so much wisdom and they, they're designed to heal themselves. So with somatic therapy, I don't really call myself a therapist so much as a facilitator. You heal yourself, basically. The breath is just the tool. What I would say when it comes to trauma, though, is if people kind of go off and like, right, I'm going to try this by myself, it is good to have somebody there who is trained, who's trauma-informed, and who is able to kind of co-regulate with you. Because if you are dealing with trauma, you can get yourself into places that are very dysregulated. 
and you can re-traumatize yourself. You can get stuck in this nervous system dysregulation that we, we don't want to get stuck in. Uh, we always want to bring that balance back. But if you're on your own, it can be very, very hard to do that and very hard to kind of remain grounded. Um, and I think it takes a lot of intuition because in our kind of modern day society, we are very, it's called neck up. We do everything from our heads. We're taught to analyze everything, you know, rush it out, like use your brain. And, and we're not used to doing neck down. We're not used to dropping into our bodies, really listening to what our bodies have to say, really just kind of leaning into what our bodies are telling us. And so I think for the people that haven't done somatics at all before, they really need that kind of guidance from someone to be able to do that because otherwise they just start going back up into their brain and cognizing everything. So it's something that needs a lot of care and attention. And yeah, it's definitely. not that I could literally come away from this podcast and necessarily try it by myself. Mm, I think it could be potentially dangerous. You, you'd be lucky, I think, if you if you had all that intuition. Yeah. And you had the ability to guide yourself through that. Because the very fact is trauma, like we can be as intelligent as anything, we can be as mature as anything. But if you've got trauma, the trauma takes us back almost like that event is happening again. And it's kind of stemming from that brain part because we've got different la almost layers of the brain you can imagine so we've got our brain stem and our reptilian brain that kind of just controls our bodily functions and then we've got the mammalian brain which is the limbic system which is like emotions memory and then we've got the neocortex which is our higher thinking so trauma just takes off our higher thinking part of the brain so we're just left with the mammalian part and the reptilian part and they don't ration very well at all. <laughs> it's not like a personal failing. If you can't ration yourself out of trauma, that's how we're designed. It's for survival. So our mammalian and reptilian brain will always take over in trauma. So yeah, I'd, I'd advise against it. I think if people are very, very experienced, they might be able to get some point on their own. I know somatic therapists that still go and see people like years down the line, that are like experts themselves and they'll still go see people. I'm still seeing somatic therapists I, I don't want to guide myself all the time. Yeah. So like in the PT world, all the best coaches have coaches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And is that what makes the breath work different to someone just doing a meditation? Because you're not necessarily tapping into trauma or are you? Are you doing that with meditation sometimes? So I think that's quite a deep question because meditation, I think, could be tapping into trauma. I think it really depends on how you're meditating. Meditation was always something that I just couldn't get into before. People with trauma and also neurodivergent people really, really struggle to get into that meditative space because first off, if you're neurodivergent, your brain is just going to go everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, yeah, I'm sure we can both um, agree on that. But with trauma as well, it can almost be re-traumatizing to just be left with your thoughts, yep. to just be sitting with them. And then we kind of go into this, if we're not trained to be able to really embrace the bodily sensations that come up, we can start suppressing them again and start getting ourselves into an even more dysregulated, activated state where we're like, oh, this feels awful. And then by the time we know it, we're like, screw that, like going off and playing games or like doing anything else but thinking about our feelings. So what the breath work does, again, it's going back to that changing the state. So with meditation, we've not changed our state yet. We're just trying to like either clear our mind or think about specific things. And yeah, sure, if you find a meditation that works for you, that can be really effective at kind of changing your state. But the breast is so powerful. It's just, it does it for you almost. Yeah, it's, it's basically changing our nervous system state. So with our nervous system, a lot of people know about two nervous system states. So we're taught about our sympathetic, like fight or flight. Yep. But then we're talking about our parasympathetic, which is our rest and digest. Or it's actually not quite as simple as that. There's something called polyvagal theory that's saying that there's more branches to the parasympathetic autonomic nervous system. So we've actually got a branch that is, that is rest and digest. But then we've got a branch that is also shut down. It's kind of dissociation and it's also kind of linked to chronic fatigue. But it's actually because we've been in this sympathetic, aroused, mobilized state where we're like having to fight or flight. But then if we can't 
do that if it's not a situation where we can run away or fight. We go into this hypoarousal where our bodies are just like, well, we can't do anything now. So we go into shutdown, dissociation, we go into freeze or form. Um, and in life, you know, that can play out as, as chronic people pleasing, as not being able to stand up for ourselves, as, you know, just kind of going through the motions in life without ever really learning who we are because we're just stuck in that freeze and form cycle. And relating that to obviously being trans or being queer, most of us probably spend a really good portion of our lives like that unless we're super, super lucky with the environment we're brought into, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think there's a queer wound, you know, the trans wound, in that as we're growing up, we get all these messages that we're not acceptable and uh, we don't fit in, we lack connection. And that's another thing as well, is that we're lacking safety because of our environment, not welcoming, and we don't know who's safe to come out to, to be ourselves. Maybe we don't even know who we are yet which in itself is an unsafe feeling. But then we're also lacking connection because it's just harder to find people that are like us and get those authentic connections. And they're basically the two needs of the nervous system. You know, its needs are safety, connection. And if it hasn't got those two things, our nervous system is going to be in a dysregulated state. It's going to be going to these stress or shut down parts of our, our nervous system. Yeah, that's wild, but makes complete sense. How did you find somatic breathwork? How did you find out about it? What made you want to like seek it out? What made you want to try it? I developed COVID fatigue and I've always been interested in health, nutrition, holistic health. And, you know, I had this COVID fatigue and I was doing everything that I could think of, like nutritionally, really reducing things that would cause inflammation. I was supplementing some of my mitochondrial health. I was doing all these things and getting sunlight and everything. But I was still really, really struggling. And I just, I've never had a fatigue where I just felt so, so heavy. Like my body literally just felt like so heavy to move. And somebody on my course was like, oh, you should try, maybe try breath work for energy levels. And at first I was like, ugh, breath work, like, that sounds so boring. We're always breathing. Like I know how to breathe. That's, yeah, rubbish. Um, and then I was like, you know, it's box breathing. And I don't want someone to tell me how to box breathe and like breathe slower and all that. So yeah, I, I very much came into it as a skeptic. I was stuck. And so I was like, you know, I'll, I'll try something. And I saw something on YouTube that was talking about almost like a faster style of breathwork. And it said that it kind of gave you a natural high. So I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. And I tried it. And the first time I tried it, I was like, wow, this is something. And it gave me like tingles. It just made feel so like grounded but also connected and also energized so like as soon as i'd use it that first time every day i was like using it to support myself through this covid fatigue and the more i did it the more i found that my fatigue was improving and it was giving me that instant energy really but without the crash so it's kind of like coffee but without any kind of come down i like that comparison <laughs> um, just to appeal to you there because i'm anywhere got me back then I was kind of just like searching to learn more I was like super obsessed it's you know like neurodivergent tendencies go and I went to this breathwork session with someone and I thought it was going to just be kind of teaching different styles of breathwork to help with different things but it turned out it was like an hour of just doing this breath style called conscious connected breathing it's also called transformational breath and I came away from that and I was just like, that was incredible. It, it genuinely just felt like I healed a part of my inner child that I think had been like basically screaming for it <laughs> for forever. Um, and yeah, it was such a strange sensation. It like your body is just tingly. Well, mine was at least like tingly and there's all this like rushes of energy. And then it's almost like you feel compelled to like move your body. And it looks different for everyone. Some people might start crying or might shake, or might yell or scream. Some people might, you know, kind of like have to like bash their fists and stuff like a baby. But then at the end of that, you know, the part of the, the facilitation is that resourcing that those parts back to safety. At the end of that, it's just an incredible healing experience. And this breath style 
is also called psychedelic breath. It's a bit controversial because the scientific evidence isn't quite there on it yet, but it supposedly releases DMT in, from the pineal gland. So DMT stands for dimethyltryptamine, and it's called the spirit molecule. It can give you vision, it can give you hallucination. So this breath style is called psychedelic because it is literally like taking magic mushrooms. <laughs> you know, I've had people come out of their first sessions with me and be like, I feel really high. <laughs> like, what is this? I was wondering this and I've maybe spent about 10 minutes thinking it just sounds like a trip. <laughs> but like really not does. necessarily in a bad way because obviously we know people can have really positive trips and really negative trips or just kind of nothing. Is it comparable to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is very comparable. You know, there's certain types of breath that are kind of almost the opposite and that raising our CO2, allowing more oxygen into our cells and brain. But this one is actually reducing CO2 and it's putting us in a little bit in called eustress, which is like true stress, which is stress that our body can like move through and process. So say, for example, if you're about to get hit by a bus, that's you stress, like you run away from it and you move rather than our kind of chronic stress that we're all suffering from <laughs> in the society, like constant emails and deadline. And I think, you know, psychedelics gets a bit of a bad rap, really. I'm not at all a psychedelic expert. I've not done psychedelics, but it's used as a specific therapy. And I've heard people having amazing therapeutic sessions with that and getting so many benefits out of it. It's changing our brain waves, it's changing our nervous system state, it's allowing us to, to dialogue with our subconscious parts that we generally can't access. And the, the beautiful thing again about breathwork is you're in control, <laughs> like it's your breath. So if at any point it's too much, you just breathe differently and take the body back to a calmer state. Whereas obviously with drugs, once they're in your system, your system that has to process them out. With the breath, we're very much in control. And there's no side effects as such, apart from maybe the sensations that we feel. So yeah, it is it is almost like a natural high. So if people don't want it for energy or they don't want it for trauma release, um, yeah, if that's something that you're interested in experiencing, <laughs> maybe that would appeal to some people. Yeah, I didn't imagine I didn't imagine this being one of the tangents that we talked about, but as you were talking, I was just like, Yeah, it kinda just sounds like doing mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um we've talked about like trauma a lot. Was there anything you were really looking to like tap into that you were hoping it could help at the time that was separate from your COVID fatigue? Yeah, so I mean at the start, I didn't realize the breath was so powerful, but I think for, for all my life, really, I've struggled with a lot of issues and a lot of abandonment and a lot of mother wounds, attachment issues, anxiety, depression, and a lot of why, what I found in kind of talk therapy was a lot of that was connected to adoption. And, you know, when people think of adoption, sometimes I think society kind of sees that as you've been saved and you're lucky, but actually the the reality of adoption is that there's relinquishment there. And as, you know, as babies, we don't have any sort of ability to resource ourselves. For the first few years, we're entirely dependent on you know, our birthing person and our, our primary caregivers to regulate us. And, and more than that as well, our brainwaves when we're young are all in the kind of delta theta brainwaves. So we're almost like in subconscious programming all the time. <laughs> so what happens to us from birth to our early developmental years, it, it goes straight into our subconscious. Everything is personal. So I had all these issues and I'd done lots of talk therapy, I'd done DPT, I'd done some NLP, which is linguistic programming. I'd done various therapies and they helped manage symptoms, but they didn't help how I felt inside on how I got triggered and how I got triggered always felt the same. And people listening might be able to, to relate is that when we're triggered, we have this almost like contraction in our body. It feels like our insides are like squeezing and shutting down. And what I've learned now is that actually that's trauma. That's just trauma that's been stored in our bodies. And it's those feedback loops that started when our traumatic event happened, whenever that was, if it was. When we were born, reconception, you know, our birthing parents' state impacts us so much, like the hormone 
Olympics through their cortisol levels. And it affects us well into later life. I knew that I had these wounds underneath everything going on. And I had no idea it would kind of, kind of be able to access them. As soon as I experienced it, I was like, wow, I think that's the first time I really felt something there. And it's not something that's easy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard and it's, it's painful and it, it's still not an overnight thing. But I think because it is that bottom up approach, we're, we're able to heal things where we might not even have them. It might be preconception. It might even be intergenerational, like our, our ancestors, the trauma that they've been through, the kind of physiological ad- adaptations. They can get passed down through generations and they've, they've done studies on this where I think it's up to like seven generations. Trauma can be passed down. So you might be there thinking like, oh, I've, I've never experienced anything traumatic and I've had a perfect life. But, you know, our traumas can be stemming from our ancestors way down the line. Yeah. So for me, that's Holocaust. That's Polish Jewish heritage in the yeah. Holocaust, I guess, at some point, if you're going back seven generations. That's wild. Never thought of it that way at all. When you talk about healing these parts of you, what does that look like for you? When you say healing, does it mean closure? Does it mean you don't have that trauma again? Does it mean you're just better at managing it? I think the the top-down therapy would be where you're better at managing it. So that's kind of like using our willpower. I mean, we will have always experienced what we experience. I think to some extent, we're always on this healing journey. I don't know if we ever get to the end of our healing journey. I, for one, am definitely not <laughs> at the end of my healing journey at all. It's just that we've changed how our bodies are responding in the present. Because what trauma does is it takes us out of the present. When we're triggered, we're no longer really in the present. We're no longer perceiving reality. We're perceiving reality through this lens of trauma. So when we go heal through somatic therapy, we're bringing the wounded parts of us to safety so that they're no longer reacting to the same triggers in the same way. And I've noticed that the more sessions I've done with somatic therapy, the less I'm triggered. And I think our triggers are, they're basically just messages to us, right? They're just telling us where our unhealed parts are. <laughs> so, you know, they're not always necessarily a bad thing on the thing to be avoided completely. <laughs> they can be really useful. So somatics is basically just changing how we are responding to their triggers. We just get better at dealing with them. And it may be that the triggers arrive less because we've done the work to almost deal with them in a way. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We're allowing the nervous system to not react maybe so violently to a trigger. So maybe in the past, say, say something happened to me and I felt abandoned by a friend that would trigger me so much. And then I'd go into this cycle of anger, depression, and I'm not good enough. And at one point in my life, you know, that I was diagnosed with EPD, so borderline personality. And it just felt like my emotions were always just overwhelming, whereas the more kind of somatic therapy I've done, the more that window was closed. Maybe I'll get a bit triggered, but then I'll kind of be able to feel into my body, listen to what it's having to say to me, feel what I need to feel, and then I'll return to baseline. So it's not about not having our trauma. It's not about kind of avoiding triggers. It's about having that capacity to deal with life. And these wounded parts of us don't feel quite so wounded. They don't feel quite so fragmented. Yeah. And they're not like battling the other parts of us. <laughs> so I don't know if you've heard about internal family system at all. It's like a therapy model and it says that there are, there are three main parts of us. First part is our wounded part or you could call it fragmented parts. And when trauma happens, the feeling is overwhelming and it's almost like we suppress those parts of us or we kind of put them outside of our, ourselves because they can't be seen, they're not safe to be seen, people saw them, would be un- unacceptable. So they're kind of hidden away, but then their the pain continues. So then we have protectors, so we have managers that come in. And the man- managing parts could look like overworking, they could look like being very critical of oneself for everything, the need to control everything. Then we've got firefighters, which is the other protective role. And they come in when these managing parts haven't worked. And they're basically like the last resort. They can, you know, they can look like addictions. They can look like self-harm. They can look like feeling suicidal. 
And the funny thing about these flying fighting parts is they're trying to put out the fire, which is our pain. And they've all got a positive intention behind it. So even, even being suicidal, it has a positive intention where it's our bodies are trying to escape something that feels unlivable. So if nothing else, I hope that makes people feel less, less broken. It's not actually our fault if we're feeling like that. It's actually our body's natural response to what we've gone through and what we're facing. Yeah. And I think one of the main things that we put on ourselves is like blame and shame for feeling a certain way, especially when it doesn't feel like you are the same as everybody else. And if we have something, I'm going to put this in inverted commas for anyone that's listening, but if we have something wrong with us, whether that's we're trans, we're neurodiverse, our body doesn't look like the bodies that we see in the mainstream media. If you're used to seeing white, cisgender, straight people everywhere, we can almost get into that mindset that we are wrong or we were born wrong. And we feel right, but we keep telling ourselves that we're wrong and other people keep telling ourselves that we're wrong. So we then are basically going through our life, putting all that on ourselves from the outside, from society, everything feels wrong. But it's almost like when we're made to feel right, it definitely releases something. And in terms of being trans, at this point, I'm two days on testosterone. And although nothing has happened, I still feel completely different. And I suppose maybe it's just knowing that things are going in the way that they need to for things to feel right. And I suppose with the breath work, if you're not necessarily able to solve a problem for yourself or if something's out of your control, the trauma's out of your control or you're awaiting your affirming care or you're awaiting something that isn't in your control, can it help you deal with that better? Yeah, absolutely. It's helped me so much with just dealing because, you know, now I've, I've had top surgery and I'm on tea and I'm very fortunate and privileged to have been able to access that care early on in my transition. But, you know, I've still got things going on in life that are stresses. And honestly, like since starting somatics, I feel like a different person in terms of just how my my inner body feels, how it's reacting to things. I just have so much more kind of control and kind of capacity. It's almost like before my window of tolerance was like really big <laughs> and, and anything would push me over um, and anything would either stressing me out, pushing me into that kind of, I just want to go to bed, like just shut down on my pressure or fatigue. Uh, whereas now I have a much bigger window. And I think what you were saying just then goes back to that, this wound really, this queer wound on that actually living in our society, I think is inherently traumatic as a trans or non-binary or queer person, because we're told that we're wrong. And all of these things are outside of our control. And, and trauma stems from experiences where we're no longer in control. Because if we're in control and we have that resource back to safety, not trauma. <laughs> like our bodies are fine with it. Like we'll, we'll make stress, but then we'll return. Whereas if we don't have control, yeah, it's like being, being pinned down and our bodies are just screaming into that survival mode. So the trauma is an adaptation and you know, I think a lot of us are still seeing that within ourselves being queer, where we still intellectually know that maybe we're safe, maybe we can be ourselves, but there's parts of us inside of us that are like, oh, no, don't do that. That's not safe. Like, people won't accept you if you do that. <laughs> it's, it's this primal feeling of need to stay safe, to be acceptable, to be lovable. And when you've grown up as queer, that's, that's harder to feel into. I think we all have those parts that need to be brought back to safety and connection. And that, yeah, I've, I've definitely still got those, those parts in me. So that'll be future work for me as well. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing that I've worked on ever since I was 23, so I'm, I'm 32 for context, but um, I was like held up and robbed at gunpoint when I was 23 and it basically just ruined my life. I was on the way to work and I was walking. So I walked everywhere. I lived in the city centre of Leeds. I walked to work and I had many late nights because I was a musician and I had many early mornings because I worked in retail. And it just ruled out everything. I couldn't go back to where I lived. I don't think I did, apart from to get my stuff to move somewhere else. I wasn't able to work. 
I had to be escorted to and from work every day when I went back. I had a lot of intense PTSD therapy to try and get myself to be able to live what someone would deem as like a regular life. I had access to that. That was a privilege because when you go through a trauma like that, the police assign you someone to come and visit you, but they're just a volunteer. And I remember telling this person what had happened and she just burst into tears. And obviously that's not a great resource for someone that's gone through a really big trauma. I was just thinking then you're almost having to comfort them through your own trauma. Yes, I was privileged enough to have access to PTSD therapy which I went to for about six months and it's nine years on and I very rarely can walk in the dark alone. That's still there. And funnily enough, the more male passing I get, the easier it gets because I'm not a 23 year old girl anymore. So I'm not in the same situation, but it's still there. It still lives with me. I still have to do the work with it. I still get triggered and it is less, but there's less things like I can walk past someone in the street and not think that they're going to get a gun out. But there was a point where I thought that was going to be everyone. And yeah. I think it's like going through all of that. It never really goes away, but you do get better at dealing with it. And I also relate that to things like my eating disorder and, you know, any sort of like relationship trauma or platonic trauma, family trauma. It never goes away, but you just seem to get better at dealing with it. And when that relates to what goes on in your body when you go into that fight or flight mode, when you're in that state of stress, heightened stress hormones, does time help as much as the breath work does? Yeah, so that's a really interesting one because, you know, there's that saying of like time heals yeah. or wounds. And I got told that many times <laughs> right? when I was younger because, yeah, I developed PTSD myself, but it, I was over, over empathetic which in itself was actually trauma. I learned as a trauma response, but I watched something that I, I felt like I was in there. Um, and yeah, I got PTSD from that. And also I just want to, you know, appreciate it. Like, I'm sorry that, you know, you had to go that and that happened. But with time, what can actually happen is that time can actually ingrain those patterns into us. So, you know, if we have a traumatic experience with a man, say, and then see all men as threats, and then our kind of behavior and our adaptation lead us to always on the lookout. We're always hypervigilant. Oh, yeah. And then we kind of almost attract situations where men are threats. <laughs> and, you know, the brain likes to be right. <laughs> so it's almost this self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, we'll, we have this trauma around men and then we'll get into a situation where that is reaffirmed and then we're just reaffirming our trauma within us. Whereas the breath work is actually a way to get into those feedback loops and almost like reverse engineer the formation of that kind of pathway in our bodies in the first place. So, you know, when we're going through that traumatic event, our breathing will speed up, our cortisol, our adrenaline will go, our nervous system will create these loops around the, the trigger, which could be anything. You know, it could be like bananas. If someone has a, an experience with bananas, Sarah's triggered. <laughs> She's like, well, well, exactly. <laughs> She's obviously caught a traumatic experience with bananas. And um, so, yeah, our trigger could be anything. But with the breath, we're actually able to almost insert ourselves in that feedback and complete them, bring them to a point where we're allowing our body to feel what it needed to feel in that situation which has caused our trauma and we're allowing it to heal itself we're allowing it to complete those feedback loops that got set up that have been driving our life ever since and there's an interesting quote was from Carl Jung and he said until we make the unconscious conscious it will run your life and you'll call it fate and I just thought that was really like hard-hitting quote because it's so true like we're going through life and, you know, we're calling it fate, what happens to us, but actually we're self-sabotaging a lot of what we're doing because a lot of things don't feel safe. You know, the more kind of trauma we have, really adverse experiences, all of that intergenerational trauma, the less things feel safe for us. So that's driving our lives and what this kind of somatic healing 
really doing is kind of being able to peel back those trauma responses and adaptation so that we can actually learn who we are without them. And that can be quite existential, but it's beautiful because, you know, our, our adaptations, what, even what we think of ourselves and who we've, who we've identified as, like even for myself, like a lot of what I do might not be my true self because they're adaptations. And when we, we are able then to function without those adaptations, it's amazing because we can be anything. <laughs> we can be anything basically. Amazing. Thank you so much for chatting to me about all this stuff. My brain is just going 1,000 miles an hour. I think the main question I've got is there's going to be a bunch of people listening to this that have either never heard of it or have heard of it and didn't know what it was. And what if they wanted to try it? Maybe they don't necessarily have the means to throw any money at it right now or get any professional help. But if somebody wanted to delve into a bit of somatic breath work, is there anything that they can do right now by themselves? Yeah, so I think even just being becoming aware of our breath and our like inner sensations can help. So that's something that you don't particularly maybe need too much guidance on. So our our in breath, right, it's connected to our sympathetic nervous system. So if we're kind of in breathing all the time, we're actually activating ourselves. We're putting ourselves in that fight or flight kind of anxiety inducing our nervous system, which is something that I see a lot and you know, Western civilization as well. We all know about this so much is that we're holding our stomach in because we want a flat stomach and we want abs and we don't want people to see our little pot bellies. But you know, that's in terms of the functionality of our breathing. We've all kind of forgotten how to breathe properly. It's not it's not um, functional in any way. <laughs> no, it's really I not. was literally taught to hold my stomach in. Like, you know, when, oh, yeah. when you're like a kid <laughs> in pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Stand up straight, tuck your stomach in. Okay, stomach in. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just setting us all up for anxiety, really. So focusing on the out breath and like prolonging that can actually put our nervous system into more of a parasympathetic state. So if we're, we're feeling stressed, we can focus on the out breath, make that longer than the in breath. We're kind of all living in this neck up society where we're taught to ration things out, make decisions from ahead all the time. Um, you know, if, if we're triggered, we're like analyzing why and we're like, how can I think my way out of this? And I think I'd invite them to, to not, <laughs> to almost try and stop thinking, but in, in the way that you don't have to stop, you're just dropping into your body and just take notice of where you're feeling these contractions in your body or like heaviness or densities or like butterflies and feelings because our bodies are so, so smart. They know exactly what's up. <laughs> they know exactly what we need. It's our brains that get in the way a lot of the time. You know, 80% of our nervous system signals go from our body to our brain, not all the way around. We're designed to know from our bodies. So maybe like just put a hand on the point where you feel this energy, this anxiety, this density and contraction, and maybe just like really feel into what it's trying to trying to tell you. And if you can, if that's comfortable enough, you know, if, if you feel yourself really spirally, then maybe it's not safe. If that feels okay to just sit with, you can sit with it and you can kind of play around with it. And like, it's okay to feel it because really when it comes to to healing we have to feel it to heal it because if we've not felt it that energy is just going to be stuck inside us and it's not easy again but it's so worth it <laughs> so we have to we have to drop into that we have to feel it and that enables us then to to move it and you know if people do that they're angry and they want to jump up and down and like pretend they're bashing stuff with their fist do it like that's your body that's your body giving energy and processing it and I've done that. I've done that. And I was like, oh, okay, I feel better now. And I can go about my day. <laughs> and my body's not hanging on to it. Yeah, and I guess, you know, that even relates to the gym, doesn't it? Getting all your energy out, feeling it. Exactly, yeah. Around. I think the one thing on this podcast that's always a theme is that, like, the work is never easy. Whatever work it is, it's never easy. And it doesn't necessarily get easier. We just get better at doing it. Yeah, 
Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Kellen, thank you so much for chatting to me about all this today. Yeah, awesome. Well, you're more than welcome. And thank you for inviting me on here. Yeah, I'd just like to finish on a note. I think we mentioned it before, but that actually, you know, all the things that we've seen in ourselves that we, we're labeling as kind of broken behaviors, you know, they're all survival mechanisms and that we're not actually broken at all. We're actually perfect <laughs> because our nervous systems are doing exactly what they're meant to, to, to keep us safe, to keep us adapted to what's happened. I hope people take that and feel a little less broken because I know how that's felt <laughs> for all my life before this. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that. Hell yeah, that was Kellen Bacon, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You can find the details for their Instagram in the show notes. And before I leave you today, when we stopped the call, we actually continued chatting and I ended up hitting record again because Kellen started talking about meditation a little more. And I thought this was a really cool thing to finish the podcast on and to include. So I hope you have an amazing rest of your week, Cultivate Family. For anyone that finds this time of year hard, like me, if you're wanting to get a bit of a head start on your fitness journey towards 2024, there is never a better time than now. The gyms are so quiet this time of year. So if you fancy making a start on any coaching, drop me a DM or fill in the form in the show notes and let's have a chat about it because this time of year is really a bit of a struggle for a lot of people. Anyway, I'll leave you with this little outro of Kellen and myself talking about meditation and I hope you have an awesome rest of your week. Take it easy, Cultivate family. Clocking out. When people talk about meditation, they think of like a really kind of cliche version of it, of just being like sat there, clearing your mind, everything is peaceful and blank in there. Um, but actually meditation is embodied in what you're doing. So for some people that could be martial arts, it could be fitness, it could be music, that's meditative. And meditation can also be being with your thoughts. It can also be being with your feelings, the sensations in your body, which I would really encourage people to maybe feel into and see how they get on with that. For a lot of people trying to meditate like that in that kind of stereotypical sense can be worse and not try to meditate at all. <laughs> um, and I, I know that was definitely the case. It was actually only until I did breath work and did the kind of energizing book grounding techniques that I know of that actually raise our CO2. Because everyone's on about O2. They're like, oh, we need more oxygen. We don't. <laughs> our O2 actually never really changes. It's our CO2 that gives us a physiological response. So as our CO2 rises, it tells hemoglobin, tells our red blood cells to give up its oxygen and allow that oxygen to go into the cells in the brain. It was great for my brain fog when I did this breath. But after that, I'm kind of left with this like calmness and clarity. And that's when I started to be able to meditate. So it's only since doing breath work that I actually got into meditation at all. Yeah, I relate to the, it's more stressful to meditate than to not, which isn't the desired effect. Not to, not to bash people that, you know, really, really get on with meditation. It's obviously working for them. But people with trauma, their adaptations, their thoughts, the neck up thinking is going to just come in and bombard them with all these thoughts and anxieties. We're hoping that's the opposite of what we want.